this panel could start out with an apocalyptic scenario whereby the relevance or the place of record labels kind of vanishes. And people just go straight to streaming platforms. I mean, I'm being a little bit extreme here, but not that, you know, who knows? I mean, everyone thought that Napster was going to destroy the music industry. Wrong. You know what I mean? It's like you just never know which way things are going to turn. So imagine that it becomes the thing to do for a new artist to just sign straight to a, a streaming platform. But those streaming platforms haven't necessarily manned up in terms of staffing, etc., or womaned up, excuse me, in terms of staffing and skills to deal with the needs of those artists in order to develop them, get the best out of them, which is all the things that labels do, right? So the fact that Spotify suddenly announced that it was signing artists directly obviously is the, sp the springboard for this panel. I mean, it's like... Hang on a second. How does that exactly work? And Spotify being Spotify, they won't really tell you. And as I'm not an artist, I can't sign up and find out what they do or don't do. But it is fascinating to examine the possibilities and the extrapolations of a world without labels or with less labels, whereby all those skilled people uh, are forced to find different ways of interacting with artists or working with artists, etc. Rick, I mean, have you had an artist that you were interested in who turned around one day and go, it's all right, mate, I signed with, you know, with a, with a, with a platform. Has that ever happened? Yes. Um, so pulling back a bit mac macro from the micro aspect of Spotify, which we'll drill into in a bit, I'm sure. But uh, to use your uh, apocalyptic uh, scenario, uh, without doubt, if the world were to explode today and we all arrived on a new planet tomorrow and set up the music industry from scratch with a blank sheet of paper, um, there's no way the music industry would look like it does today. It's old-fashioned, not fit for purpose, uh, structured around old business models. Absolutely. Uh, and there's a historical inertia, of course, that you can't, like every industry, it's set up in a certain way because it's been doing it for, what, 40 years, really, since the advent of the modern music industry, uh, which, as all of you probably know, is initially predicated on uh, movie soundtracks from, from, from silent films. Um, but it's evolved so much. But, but, it, but actually, funny enough, the business practices and, in, in fact, the copyright law and, and a lot of aspects around it haven't actually changed since the, day of those, the days of those exactly. silent, silent film soundtracks, which is an insane concept when you, when you think about it. Find talent, record talent, market talent. Yeah, so to, to us and I think to probably all of us in the room, uh, the, the, the concept that the music industry is now evolving to a point where uh, I suppose the gatekeepers and the monopolies that were controlled by the major labels and, and the major rights holders has all been completely broken down so that there are myriad opportunities for, for artists and talent and writers and, uh, and, and performers to release their music and, and, and get it out to the, to the public in any way they choose. So that's, in my opinion, a great place to start. Um, as for the, your question, then I'll, then I'll stop talking. Uh, yeah, and it happens to us a lot. So our roster at ATC, we've got about 60 acts. Uh, you know, real range of artists from established acts like Nick Cave and, and PJ Harvey and Faithless and, and various others, all the way down to, you know, obviously developing uh, talent. Um, out of the 60 acts, I think probably only four assigned to traditional deals. Uh, and okay. I know that IE have a fairly similar philosophy and approach as well. So actually for us, we're so far gone beyond the concept of thinking about traditional deals that it's second nature to us as a management company to, to try to break the mold and be disruptive in the way that we structure deals. So no, most of our acts actually come to us because of the fact we don't want to do deals. Ah. Were you nonetheless a bit shocked that Spotify had been so brazen no not at all and i don't think I, I think a lot was made of it and then i will stop talking otherwise i'm going to hog the mic but uh i, I think We've a lot, was, a lot, a lot was made right. of it but um I, I i don't see it as a challenge to traditional ways of going about doing deals with rights holders spotify and their backers are certainly not stupid enough to invest in loads of talent because they just lose loads of money yeah um they'll pick a few and do some really cool little deals and it'll be really yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to change the world. It's like, I mean, to, to use my partner, Brian Message, who's managed Radiohead his whole career, uh, of course, you may remember that In Rainbows uh, campaign they did about 10, 11 years oh, yes. ago. 
which of course was before Facebook, before Spotify, before Twitter, before you know everything. Uh, and uh, again, the, the press kind of talked about this is going to change the world, change the music industry. Of course, it wasn't. It was just a really good one-off campaign that really mm -hmm. made a big splash, and they sold a lot of records. Yep. And it was a really cool thing to do. Um, I think that's probably the same with Spotify. Like, if they, yeah. if you can do a deal that works, cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can I draw an analogy between? Um, the In Rainbows campaign and Spotify. Uh, one of the most frustrating things about In Rainbows is that most people looked at it and got it wrong. So then artists came up to me and said, I have to give my music away for free now, which was the general view for four or five years. And that's exactly the opposite of what radio asked. They asked how much you want to pay mm -hmm. and had the disc box and had the tour and had the, you know. So th there was a lot of people looking at that and doing the wrong thing. I think it's probably worth challenging the what Spotify are doing thing, and just giving it a little bit of context, because they're not actually signing artists. So, and um, if you want to know what Spotify are up to, just look at all of their announcements that they've made. They've hidden it all in plain sight. Yeah. So they're not going to be a label, right? But Daniel has a very specific definition of what that is. There's not gonna be any exclusivity, and they're not gonna own copyrights. Beyond oh. that, everything's up for grabs. So, so no their, their point about signing is what they want to do, their vision, is to create a suite of tools so that any artist in the world can go to Spotify for Artists and there will be a whole suite of services and tools that artists will be able to avail themselves of. On a paying basis? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 the whole point is, is that they're going to be, and whether or not that's offset against your royalties or the extent that you'll be paying up front for those, all of those things are being worked out right now. Yeah. But what they want to do, and it's quite an unattractive illusion that some people don't like, but it's a bit like if you have a car with a certain app, you can become an Uber driver. And they will find the market and they will take the payments for you. Yeah. That is the vision for what they want to achieve. So rather than everyone running for the hills, actually, with Spotify providing all of those tools, Artists are going to need more of a clue as to what to do, especially beyond Spotify, rather than Spotify is going to sign every artist from the year dot. So they describe it as monetizing uh, previously uh, dormant sources sort of thing in the way that you Uber say, you know, your car's in the garage, you could be earning money from it. Yeah, it's, an, it's, it's the unlimited inventory view of the world. Exactly. Of the yeah. likes of um, Amazon or Alibaba or whatever, just saying that you've got all of this spare inventory that's never been used before, and we're using our matching tools in order to be able to juice that up. Where's I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad yeah. thing. I'm just explaining what they're doing. Yeah. Before yeah. everyone thinks, nice, oh, nice, well, they're going to be the biggest label good. in the world. Yeah. That's not what it's about. I think but you're starting to, just a quick point on the Spotify yeah. one, like you're starting to see some of their, uh, their future vision or their future strategy come to fruition now around uh, New Music Friday. I heard a couple of weeks ago that uh, anyone that has a free account, like there's a song presented by, you know, like, uh, so like New Music Friday was a kind of editorially chosen thing. And I, pretty sure that I, I read a report that you know there is a track on New Music Friday for folks that don't have a premium account that is presented by Ford or something. So that's really interesting uh, for me because was it editorially chosen? Was it the brand who chose it? So like you're going to see them switch on all of these revenue things in the future. Ticketing, can you imagine what they can, like they have an exclusive deal I think with Live Nation or Ticketmaster as the preferred ticketing partner. Yeah. So like uh, there's some, yeah. when you yeah. build the audience and then you're the, you're the kind of the destination for streaming, uh, you can do interesting things in monetization. An interesting thing that came up in the previous panel that I did which was about ticketing, because I brought up the idea because there was um, a short news report on somewhere, the BBC perhaps, or uh, maybe CNN, about uh, a manager of a of a up-and-coming rapper who planned his tours based around the hotspots of streaming for that artist. So I brought this up in the in the in the surrounded by all these professional live live people, and they went, "It's very fuzzy data, dude. You know, it's it's really non-specific, and it's because there's a vast difference between somebody streaming, which is very passive." and actually getting up, buying a ticket, going to a show. Also, if somebody has got uh, a stream going in their, in their uh, gym, that can completely knock 
the the figures for six. Uh, if a kid stops playing a game and leaves his sandbar on, that can you know stuff like that. You multiply that by a couple of hundred in in a, in a given area, and you know you don't have specific data now. I think the point is that none of these things are ever going to work in isolation, though, right? It's Absolutely. Always, uh, that's stating the obvious, but... Uh, <laughs> and I, I think um, that that's one of the most exciting things that streaming has provided us as an industry, because if you think back to when we were all younger and we, buy, we bought vinyl or CDs uh, or cassettes, for those of us that are really old, um, it, was an it was a very anonymous purchase. Uh, you know, uh, at the before you know the advent of the internet proper. So let's talk even just as uh, you know we're only talking about mid ninety mid nineties. I mean, yeah. it, you know, it's not that far away. Um, you could be the most passionate fan on the planet uh, of, a, of a band, walk into HMV or a record store, buy a, uh, buy a whole shitload of product, including T-shirts and merch and everything else that goes with it. You might spend two hundred quid on on a whole load of stuff. You know, gatefold vinyl. <coughs> walk out the door. And the single only person that knew anything about you was your credit card company. Yeah. If you paid by credit card, if you yeah. paid by cash, then no yeah, one knows yeah. who you were. Yeah. So as the band or as the rights holder or as the manager, how, how are you meant to capitalize on that relationship that's there? And the answer is you, could, you couldn't. No. So uh, yes, of course, uh, streaming data and the variance within it uh, can be skewed with uh, certain behavioural patterns and consumption patterns, but for the most part, uh, it's, it, than what there it's was. incredibly, incredibly good, in, and it's getting better and better all yeah. the time. Apple Music have just launched their beta version of their um, their artist platform, which is pretty good. YouTube, Google At Analytics, of course, is outstanding. Um, correlating all of that data together provides us as as companies uh, with huge amounts of data that we can we can action. Now. To, to, the, to the subject matter of our panel, to cutting out the middlemen, the key challenge going forward as an artist or a manager, especially if you're a one-man man, uh, one band manager, is uh, how the hell do you utilize that data? Because data's utterly fucking useless unless you can impl implement an action on the, on the back of it. Totally. Uh, and, and that's where, from a manager's perspective, and I'm, I'm sure it's probably the same from a label's perspective, certainly an independent label's perspective like K7, it takes a huge amount of man hours and resources and time and effort and, and understanding to work out and disseminate this data. So that's one of the biggest challenges. And if you do cut out teams of people that are working at labels, who's gonna do that job? Because yeah. the artist can't, yeah. Yeah. and most of the time the manager's too busy. So there are challenges to all of this information that we're getting, but, the fact that we're getting it is a huge advantage. Yeah, very true. Something that I, I was talking to Rachel earlier this morning, kind of discussing the panel and stuff like that, and something she said that actually really upset me is that Spotify doesn't give a shit about music. They only care about the Spotify platform. She was hung over at the time. <laughs> <laughs> she still is. Um, and so yeah. expand, expand a little bit, because what you were saying was utterly fascinating. Because they're a bunch of nerds, and uh, to them, it's the, 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 it's the technology is the only thing that matters, right? The music is incidental. Uh, show of hands, who here works at a streaming service? All right, yeah, I'm yeah, safe. You're in the clear. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I see myself a little bit... <laughs> I see myself a little bit as the sort of uh, naive, ideological, little independent... <laughs> section of the industry on this panel. Um, my experience, and this is very per personal experience, having worked uh, in marketing for record labels, in distribution for independent record labels, and now as a manager, um, also representing artists who have their own record labels. Um, it's very easy to draw a contrast uh, between the two key players in streaming for me. Um, uh, just, just by way of easily illuminating why I have a little bit of an issue with Spotify. When I want to pitch music to Spotify, yes, I have relationships with uh, country reps and editors and all of this, but they at all times are trying to make everything into a spreadsheet and an algorithm. There is uh, very little human interaction, very little actual feedback on music, at least at a development stage, as far as I'm concerned, again, from an independent standpoint. Contrasting that with the relationships that I've had in the past 
six years or so with iTunes and now Apple Music, where you have real people who really care about music, I don't work for Apple Music, <laughs> really care about music, who still have spreadsheets and algorithms, but who have far less bias on where you're releasing your music from and are happy to place it alongside a major release. And I think the difference really lies in the fact that Spotify are literally a tech company, and a massive tech company. Apple clearly are as well. I can already see four iPhones on this table. Um, but Apple are selling iPhones and MacBooks and all of this. Yes, I'm, well, you might know how much money Apple Music actually makes as an entity, but I'm pretty sure it's a tiny, tiny blip on the radar of what Apple make. Not even it's not even, I don't even know, if, I, I wouldn't even be surprised if someone told me it wasn't profitable in the slightest. For that reason, it is a, an exercise in user experience for a massive tech company. And for that reason, making a good user experience, by user experience, I mean audiences of fans discovering music and good music and credibil uh, credibility from, from uh, sending them credible music is a far more interesting exercise. Uh, but I've gone off topic. Well, can, can, I, can okay. I... No, I think... It's, uh, only... only uh, I'm here for diversity reasons as the only lawyer on the panel. Um, so that means that I can play devil's advocate. Um, and being devil's advocate, um, having, having sat with... Um, Danielek in an empty room in Centrepoint in London in 2007 and having sat in many of the earliest meetings I think that and I think this objectively the music industry owes a massive debt of gratitude to Spotify I think that they have paid more money than any other entity in order to the music industry. As I see the, I, I go into major labels where the executives are high-fiving each other and acting like they invented it, and I'm old enough to be able to say, then why did you spend all that time trying to fucking stop it then? Mm. That the idea that they are any more less music-loving than certain music industry executives, or in relation no, to... There's a, there's a lot of bad eggs. No, 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 but, that, but, that's, but that's the point, is the whole false equivalence thing. It's yeah. like the Trump and Hillary thing. Hillary's not perfect, but she ain't Trump. And, and all I would, the last thing I would say is just with regard to that is there also seems to be a huge passion about a number of platforms or people that have never paid a cent to the music industry. Mm -hmm. Didn't pay a penny to the music industry, whereas Spotify tried to do everything properly and build and make a market. So I do think that in order for balance, and also before history is rewritten by you know a bunch of winners, that there is an understanding that what Spotify have done for everyone is that they have genuinely risen everybody's boats by rising the tide. I believe in disruption, and I believe it has been an incredible... I would be an idiot to stand up and be like, I hate streaming, back to cassettes. Of course, I'm not saying that. Um, a disruption is so valuable and has, yeah, obviously benefited uh, the whole music industry in terms of the financial gain. And Anyway, um, I believe that the next phase of that is a little bit more of a uh, moral compass. And I'm not saying that I am going to provide that. But I recently sat on a panel with uh, a member from, from Deezer, who, uh, perhaps blowing their own trumpet, are attempting to change the going rate for a stream, attempting, attempting to make it a bit fairer, attempting to bring in the publishers more, attempting to do all of these things. The next phase, of, whether it's true or not, but the next phase of this should be a little bit, to my mind, a little bit more of a moral compass on then improving how that then rolls out. Beyond. Okay, just, just on that one, I, I've just spotted in my line of sight a man who's had to do the clearances like I've had to, mm -hmm. narrowing his eyes with Stefan here. Mm -hmm. All I would just say is that Spot what Spotify does and doesn't pay and how it does doesn't pay is as much to do with the music industry making things impossible as it is what they want to pay. That's all I'm going to say on that point. Would, would you say that's a fair view, Stefan? Yeah. Uh, so uh, these two guys have both got um, valid points. Um, I think, Rachel, to your point, the um, I suppose there is a uh, democratization of music on streaming platforms that provides for this uh, scenario where there is so much music being placed on, on these, these platforms. I don't think the platforms have any other, any other 
chance of doing their business, you know, going about their business other than it being a fairly mathematical and algorithmic based uh, uh, system. Uh, it's, it's you know, uh, something like three million songs are uploaded a month or something insane to Spotify. And uh, so I think it has to be a bit of a sausage factory in that sense. I think it's going to be very hard to compare. If we're comparing Spotify as a platform to the kind of the touchy-feely approach of, uh, well, a distributor or, a, or an independent record store back in the day, I think they're apples and oranges. So uh, I, I think Cliff's right. You know, the, the, the benefits far outweigh the challenges. And... Unfortunately, I think the bad rap that streaming got and, and the economics of streaming for you know the few years until it reached a bit of a tipping point in the last 18 months or so was misplaced and misjudged. Uh, there are a lot of people, older people, I'm 43, so it was people that were older than me, I think, uh, who had done business in a certain way for many, many years, in some cases three or, three or four decades, who were up in arms because they couldn't work out how the new economics worked. The reality is that the democratization of music for its challenges provides us all with a phenomenal opportunity. And let's not forget, going back to my point earlier about the an anonymity of, of, uh, of transactional uh, models, such as buying a unit of something, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever format it is, uh, we now have this opportunity with the democratization of music where we are finally a global industry. And we never were. I, I know we worked in most countries, but we didn't really work in most countries. We kind of worked in about 30 countries. And of those 30 countries, only really 10 of them made any money. And the other 170 countries around the world didn't have any music market. And even some of the biggest uh, population uh, in, on the planet had no legal uh, music industry. There was either pirated material, pirated physical product, or in the early days of digital, there was uh, illegal peer-to-peer uh, uh, -peer, uh, uh, file sharing. Hello, N Brazil. N Br Br Brazil being a great example, and Mexico and others in South America, particularly as a as a as a continent that's grown enormously. So, the the byproduct of this is not only has it become a global industry, truly global, democratized global industry, but it's also killed piracy. Piracy is down way over 50% from about five years ago. Um, and the only reason piracy has been killed, and the only solution to piracy, of course, was provide the population with a legitimately good service, because file-sharing sites were fucking awful. Yeah. They, it was, you never found the right file. It was never the right master. It was some dodgy, dodgy file with a virus. It was awful. Uh, yeah, it was free, but it was shit. And now it's kind of free, because you can go on the free set service, or you can pay a pretty good amount of money, really, to do it. And, and also, and I'll get off my soapbox, uh, the fact that it's variable pricing, you know, uh, if you go to Brazil, it's set on the economic GDP and, and living wages of people. So in, I think in Brazil, it's the, it's the equivalent of about £3.79 or something like that, uh, or three, you know, four euros, essentially, uh, for a monthly subscription, which is great. Happy days. And when they launch in Africa, and when they launch in, you know, India, which they, I think believe, I believe they're launching this week, actually in India. Uh, let's let's hope it's a dollar, or or, or a euro, yeah. but just because the more people legitimately consuming music, the more opportunity that we all have to communicate with new fans. We've never been able to do that ever before, and I, and I can't see, and Daniel, frankly, is largely to 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 blame for that success. I mean, Steve Jobs obviously had a slightly different approach, and I think begrudgingly went into streaming, uh, you know, just before he died. But mm. uh, Daniel was a tireless and cheerleader. And they, they hesitated for a long time, Apple. They really did. Um, yeah, yeah. And actually, if it weren't, you know, the twin things of, um, you know, uh, Spotify's acquisition of the Echo Nest and the wonderful U2 debacle, which I've got lots of stories about that, um, that actually made them realise that they had to do something in a different way. Yep. But, uh, you know, away from just Spotify, as it were, but... You know, what he wants to now do is saying, look, we've, we've now licensed a 50 million catalogue. We're now going after the other 50 million artists. And how do we empower them? Mm. We've got SoundCloud who are now the new SoundCloud version 2, which are very much going down this artist tools route. Yep. And going to be providing, have provided people with a significant number of outputs, platforms, tools. There's a number more that are going to be announced in the next few weeks, which are ridiculously exciting. You've got, if you're a label, that you can go to the likes of a Fuga or you can go to a TuneCore. You've got, as an artist, you've got the opportunity to get a DistroKid or CD Baby. And you're now looking at a world where 
you know, back in the old days, so I started in a label in 1995, there was only one job for a label to do, which was to get it on the radio. Yeah. That was it, and that's all they know, knew how to do. And I'm afraid in many labels, that's still all they know how to do. Yeah. You know, not K7. Not K7. I'm talking about the majors <laughs> here, of course. I'm not talking about you know p people who, who really, really are the music lovers. I'm talking about that. So to the, the extent that there are all of these tools, and you've got an environment where the where an artist could theoretically be on the same level as a label and or a major label with regard yep. to the access to the tools and to the data, then I think this starts to get really interesting. Yeah. I've always thought of SoundCloud as the, the modern equivalent of crate digging. I mean, really, it's just, you know, you, you mine into it and you always find amazing stuff. There's so much great music on there. But also, I think we should make the point that while, okay, so Spotify's done this thing, which kind of, I, I guess, because it was Stephen's idea, was, was it actually their move that, that sparked this panel idea? It was one of the yeah topics, one of the yeah. things because you know the other thing is it's it's actually not new news that artists decide to go alone because it's become so much easier. All you need is a laptop and talent, right? Well, Robbie was the first. I mean, you know, not enough people give Robbie and Tim and David enough credit to actually kick away the major label. You know, Radiohead did it post Terra Firma, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. But there was an artist before that really did set the set the bar um, in terms of being able to have. But to start with, the first sort of complete control, mm. and then start to own pretty much every element of the value chain. Yeah, um, yeah. Is that Robbie yeah. Williams. Yeah, yeah. I so mean, he did everything for the industry, in my opinion. I love Robbie Williams. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so uh, Robbie, Robbie is an interesting Not example. Not Robbie Williams. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, you know, he's had incredible success at major record labels, but um, as a management company, Tim and David, the founders of IE Music, like um, ten years ago, or Plus, they had a, a, a digital team, you know, um, and, and today we've got five people working on digital ar around Robbie and our artists. You know, we've got a bigger digital team than some record labels, major record, you know, like labels. And uh, it's always been a priority for um, Rob and, and IE Music for the artists to be not beholden to anyone and be in control using the internet. They had digital subscriptions, you know, 15 years ago. The first live live streamed shows, you know, like from uh, yeah, um, live streamed on t on 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 the internet, on television, pay per view, those kind of things, and they were all deals that we done directly, um, on and on our own, um, yeah, and we like we like a, a kind of a mantra for us is to own and own fan data and and uh, acquire and grow and use all of the you know emails, social media. Um, people that buy stuff own that data understand it and and um, do things based on that because when you have all of this data and you understand and you have a great fan base of course you can do really interesting things so we have released you know we also manage passenger who's been like is, is another really interesting example of someone who um youtube seems to be brilliant for him and we've been able to uh, embrace youtube and, and and like use that to our benefit um yeah, and we we've done records with no labels, and we've done records with labels, and we, we you know we still love the label people that we work with, um, but we've had real success on doing direct fan albums because we've spent years and years and years um, building up the audience and the fan base, and when we know that we have something to announce or something to sell, because you've been looking after these fans for years, they you know you send out that email. I call it the million pound email. You know, like if you know what you're doing and you've got the right fan base and the right audience that you've acquired for years, and, and it has to be the, the right artist, like it's possible that you can make a million quid from sending out an email um, to your fans. And Is it and from Nigeria? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, I hope my, my, that's my point anyway. Uh, around uh, but, but it's funny, isn't it? Because IE, uh, we're, we're big family friends with, there's a lot of love between ATC and IE, and. Uh, they put us to shame because you've got, what, 15 or, 15 or 18 acts on your roster, so a little smaller than ours, although you have Robbie, which kind of puts everyone else in, there in his shade. Uh, and uh, you guys almost exclusively do direct deals with YouTube, uh, and that would never be challenged in the same way that when someone says, oh, we're going to do a deal with Spotify, and everyone's like, oh, fuck. Uh, you know, and compare what those two pay. What, but, but YouTube is, is arguably a... A far meaner beast than than Spotify, and we could we could talk for a long time about YouTube, which I'm sure we'll come uh, on to. Well, Leo Cohen uh, crying right. about clause 
Clause 13 that, is. That's yeah, a yeah. whole panel in itself. But yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, well, I just, just a quick one. On YouTube, so um, your point, valid. We, it's just you've got to accept, you know, that if you're successful on YouTube, it's like, okay, how do I turn these views into tickets and it's merch yeah. and physical yeah. and... That um, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. And so apologies to Cliff and Stephen because they've heard me um, say this before. But I think it's valid that the trough analogy. So they're cutting out the middlemen again, right? Uh, and it's, it's we're kind of pulling in and out of this uh, a debate. I know we're kind of going macro and micro a bit. But if you look at the way that the, the ecosystem works between an artist and a fan and taking into consideration what we just said earlier about how there's this purity with the communication enabling uh, artists to communicate with fans pretty directly on a truly democratized global scale. Back in the day, there was an artist at one end of the ecosystem and a fan at the, at the other end. And, and if there's a trough between those two points, there are... 30 mouths feeding out of that trough, okay? Now, this is not going to be slagging off labels at all because I'm a big, big fan of, of what independent labels do and without them, we'd all be fucked. Uh, there's a tipping point, though, when a, when a rights-based relationship, when a rights-based deal uh, flips way out of, uh, uh, of the favor of the artist and, and, and vastly in the favor of the, of the rights holder. Um, and major labels, of course, with, with respect to them, are, are a bit of an exponent of that. Um, uh, but it's the nature of the beast. But the point is that there are th there are 30 mouths feeding in a trough, a record label, a promoter, an agent, a marketing company, a digital agency, you know, a brand agency. Everybody that's involved in that relationship between the artist and the fan uh, is taking a small piece out of the, do the, the fan dollar. So a dollar, a dollar is spent by a fan, the artist ends up with 7p. Uh, and, and the other 93 pence is, is, is the margin that the, that the, the mouths are feeding out in the, in, uh, over in the trough. Now, uh, many of those mouths are very important parts of the, of the process of that artist-fan relationship. But I would find it very hard for anybody to argue that it is all valid. And at least half of that is taken up by inefficiencies, old business practices, mm -hmm. terrible deals, uh, and, and the wrong people working on, on a project. So the concept of that artist-fan relationship, the ecosystem between uh, a direct con communication between a fan and an artist, and yes, upselling merch and tour tickets, and being able to use streaming data and Google Analytics to know where your fans are and communicate with them and target, with, you know, target them through you know, pixel remapping and, and Facebook targeting and everything else that we've got at our disposal nowadays and the tools that streaming services are going to be coming up with and distributors like Fuga and Cobalt and A1 and others. These are all phenomenal changes in our industry that will provide us all with the opportunity and ultimately the artist with the opportunity of making more money, being more efficient in the way they run their businesses. Uh, all of that has to be a good thing. Yeah. And so direct deals, in the nature of them, yes, it means another f someone else is going to lose out because if you do a direct deal with, it, with YouTube, then the label that you're working with with respect isn't taking out their margin of that deal from YouTube. So any revenues coming from YouTube will go straight to the artist. If you've got a deal with a label and the, the label are picking up the revenues from YouTube, then of course the label are taking their cut after you. So you have to make a decision as an artist and as a manager and to a certain extent a label how you want to create efficiencies in that process. Yeah. Why does it <coughs> have to be, I mean, we, we, I think we said at the start that myself, you and Steven all work with artists who don't have label <laughs> deals, who maybe self-release, own their own rights, blah, 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 blah. So uh, are we not already cutting out a lot of that trough in the, in the, in the meantime before handing yeah. it straight to a yeah. massive evil tech company? I mean, in the 60s and 70s, shit deals were the norm. You know, it's simple as that. If you were lucky, they, they, really they still, still exist, are. but they but I, still are terrible. Yeah. The one, the one question I, I was, I worked at a major label for five years. The one question I never ever asked when I was offering 17% on PPD minus 25% packaging, <coughs> nobody ever, ever, ever asked me what happens to the other 83%. Never. And Not no, once. And did but anyone ever all question... All of them lawyers. And did awful. anyone ever question why the PPD was £5.50, no. yet you go into a record store and, it's and you're buying a CD for £12. Quid. Exactly. I mean, how the fuck does that work? Yeah, it's uh, None of it. If you Experimental actually, format. I'd yeah. rather give Spotify 30% of my gross than uh, Tower Records 65% of my gross. It's that Hunter Thompson mm. quote about the music industry, isn't I just, it? I'm not convinced. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not convinced. But again, maybe I'm like a 
uh, backwards thinking uh, idea. I think it's because you're you're from a nice label where you treat your artists with good fair deals, and maybe some of us have I seen some of them that that, that that aren't so benign. Yeah. That, that's that's the norm in that 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 is the big divide between the independents and majors. Really, generally, right? Majors are a bunch of cynical twats who'll rip anybody off, and indies are all saints. <laughs> Excuse me, anyone that's from a major label. <laughs> Sorry, Lucian. I'm joking, but you know what I mean. There is that. that I mean, most indies are in it for the love and the passion. Um, no. Yeah, well, I'm no, just I'm just I making massive generalizations yeah. here, okay? <laughs> um, but generally speaking, yeah. No, it, so deals that haven't ch the, f the the structure of uh, deals and percentages and stuff like that hasn't changed. It has it's changed. Changing. This week, I've announced, or I'm about to announce, the three three records that are being released this in the first half of this year. Uh, all of them on independent deals, all very different. I've signed one deal which looks like a crap major label deal, but we had our reasons for doing it. Which are? Investment, actually, investment. Oh, you put a lot of money into this act. Over uh, what we expected it to be, and so we took it. Okay. And there are other ways in which that artists are going to make money outside of that, right? The okay. idea of the record release being uh, just like a pure marketing tool, and we're never really going to make any money off it. Very outdated. You can all tell me off for doing that deal, but I had my reasons. Um, as a second deal being a 50-50 independent deal, which I'm. Still not hugely happy with, but uh, not because of the straight-up 50-50 deal, just because of other elements in that deal. I'm being very vague and not helpful. Um, the other <laughs> one being a self-release, which is a, a, a pure artist and label services release where there is a small distro percentage. Uh, why am I saying all of this? Just because to say that there is still, still so such a variety of examples deals. Examples of the way things are at still, K7 these days. Still various, not just at K7, just... Uh, Generally speaking. Uh, yeah, uh, I am, again, speaking from an independent, uh, independent label perspective, I think, and I... Well, I think a, a, I an, ex know, an excellent part of that, though, is the variance. You see, the thing, yeah. that, the thing that really, really annoys me is that that people often standing behind contracts will say, well, they've all got to be the same. And it's nonsense. Because when you get to the top tier of the artists and you see, you know, what U2 and REM and Madonna's deal and Prince's deal look like, all precedents go flying out of the window. Sure. But up until that point, you're told over and over again, this can't happen or you can't do this. And the idea of people having to be, you know, only idiots deal in simplicity and rogues use complexity to get their own way. Right? It's a sophisticated thing. And actually, what I'm really pleased about with having all of these different platforms is that hopefully, finally, we can move away from this 50-50. That sounds fair, doesn't it? No. What does 50-50 really mean? Well, that's though. the whole point, is that having to deal with what I do is just someone says to me, I could do a 1% royalty deal that would be far more lucrative than any 50-50 deal would ever be in the world, ever. Because the real question is 50% of what, yeah. when, how calculation of phasing in terms of royalties in relation to net, whether or not it's gross, all of that sort of stuff. Yet we're still dealing with these silly little deals where actually we're being told that you can't have uh, the, the intricacy and the sophistication that we need. That is changing and that is good. And a lot of that is happening because there is increased choice. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this is our point. It's like, uh, as we said earlier, you don't need to sign to a label at all. I tell you, the, the probably the biggest people, and again, the, the only reason that I, uh, the uh, the only point issue I've got with the point ratio is that is just who they are. I've dealt with labels that are brilliant. I've dealt with labels that are awful. I've dealt with platforms that are brilliant. I've, I've dealt with brands. I've dealt with all of these different people. It's not actually who they are. It's what the deals are. And actually, I would say that with regard to the streaming services, they've probably got the less agency on what a deal is yeah. than anyone in the entire industry because, because of rights. And, and also, a, a great, a, you know, to a great extent, the, the genre and the style of art, artists that it is. And, and I think we, you know, we've been doing a bit of major label bashing, so just to give them a bit of cred for a second. For a certain type of artist, and there are some brilliantly, brilliantly talented and bright people at major labels, uh, individually, collectively, they're mean uh, uh, in the way that they structure their deals because they're incredibly corporate beasts, and so they have to be quite mean in the way they do it. It's fine, it's business. But for certain artists, it does work. So we were having a few beers last night and talking about Dua Lipa uh, with Richard and, and Stephen, and uh, uh, if you look at someone like Dua Lipa with phenomenal success and you know fair play to her, um, 
it'll be interesting to see how that goes for the next couple of years and whether or not she uh, retains the level of success that she's currently enjoying. But, but having watched the way that it tracked through with Warners, they were, they were millions of pounds in, in, in debt on Dewa for, for a few years, way over two million quid at the very minimum. And nothing was really working. And it was only when she released um, uh, the video with the girls, um, whatever it's called. Uh, new, new, new Rules. New Rules. Um, that was the seventh single that she released. So That's a lot of support and dedication. It's a huge amount a of support. Lot of money. It's a huge amount of risk. It's and a lot of money. And only a major label would do that. And only yeah, a exactly. major label can afford major to do it. could can do, that. Yeah. do yeah. it. <laughs> and, and, so, and it's worked, and it's made a lot of people happy. And, and arguably, she's, you know, she's, she's been a good thing. She seems a fairly good role model for girls. She's very zeitgeist. I think the messaging that she, she talks about in her songs is good for young kids. Happy days, so everyone wins. It works for her. It certainly doesn't work for everybody. And I don't. And I think the beauty again of our industry, breaking down all those old models, breaking those the, those monopolies down that the major labels used to have. There's so much choice, and and I don't think we should expect the industry to be one size fits all anymore. It was only one size fitted all yeah. for decades. Absolutely. And now. It really, really is such a beautiful, broad church. And I think we should celebrate it, encourage it, uh, and do as much as we can to, to, to disrupt and change and, and challenge ourselves to try these new models out. I don't think we should be scared of tech. Uh, I don't think we should be scared of even Google. Um, I know Lior extremely well. He's a friend, and you either love or loathe Lior. Um, he's a divisive character, but he's a brilliant guy. Mm. He's been a brilliant champion of artists from his early days as a tour manager for Run DMC, setting up, uh, you know, Def Jam and numerous other amazing, you know, iconic brands. He was involved in wit vitamin water. He's involved, you know, he's, in, he's an amazing guy. Um, at least we've now got a bloke, and he's a fucking six foot five Israeli monster of a bloke uh, that is a figurehead for YouTube. Because yeah. before, I don't know about you, Stephen, found it really hard to communicate with Google. They're faceless yeah. and anonymous. And, a, and at least now we've got this dude that we can say, hey, We've got, a, we've got a problem with this. Let's have a talk about it. Let's have an argument. Let's discuss it. And yeah, he's not afraid to rattle cages and, uh, you know, to go in. He can go into Larry Page and Sergey Brin and say, this is what YouTube should be doing in music and this is why. And I think a lot of uh, folks there may have been afraid, you know, but like, you know, so he, yeah, I take your point. And uh, w just on the YouTube, I mean, I, I, I love a bit of Google bashing me, but actually, um, but th there are, I've worked with uh, YouTube creators, some of the biggest ever since 2008, and their ability to be able to monetize that platform and those people in the world of esports and other creators, I mean, multi, multi, multi-millionaires, proper cash money straight to the bottom line has been able to have been uh, enabled using YouTube as a platform. Yep. And that, for me, I think is where the industry should be looking to to show that this is a platform that can do it for you. Mm. And it's back to Steve's point, because mm. all of them, their YouTube revenue as a sort of a, a share of their pie chart of their income has gone down. Yep. Yep. But the other stuff, the merch, et cetera, has just flown. And also, uh, we've just this year reached a real tipping point. That, so Google's or YouTube's, YouTube's revenues uh, from recorded music uh, has just tipped over 50% in the UK. I'm not sure what it is in Europe or the Netherlands, but uh, in the UK it's now 51%, just under 51% of their revenues are generated by independent artists, which is, uh, mm. I mean, you can't argue with that. Yeah, just another one on YouTube, just a quick point uh, on, the, on the other side of, you know, people make money on YouTube, but uh, it's a really interesting platform if we're talking about cutting out the middleman and how you can use something like YouTube to your benefit where you can actually spend money on YouTube. You know, you can spend shitloads of money promoting your music to the right people uh, if you know what you're doing and if you're able, you know, like getting it in front of the right. It's a really interesting platform. It's not like you can't promote stuff on Spotify mm. as in, you know, target things. So, uh, yeah, like we've had a lot of success spending money on YouTube, which a lot of people think, you know, you're, it's crazy. But if you know what you're doing and you have the right people analyzing the data or even some artists are really good at it as well, like learning about how it to makes a lot more sense than YouTube. what people are playing on pluggers still. Absolutely. Yeah. So like yeah, uh, yeah. Th that's the other interesting thing about YouTube as a platform. You can do things that you can't do elsewhere. And uh, yeah, if you like, you don't have to have a big digital team like IE Music have, like some artists are the best at that themselves. They go in and do the, the, the Q&A, the yeah. troubleshooting, how do I do this? You know, they put their credit card details in because you still spend a lot of money promoting things like posters, uh, you know, like old school promo. 
But uh, the, that's the other great thing, the cool thing about YouTube. Yeah. Do you think that, because, I mean, yes, so there's much more choice, uh, but there is genuine fragmentation of the industry. Um, are we going to see a point whereby quite a lot of the skill sets that used to populate labels become independent individuals who attach themselves to artists uh, as a kind of au pair stroke child mind, because a lot of artists, let's face it, are quite uh, special people. Someone uh, still needs to book the Addison Lees. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that there are just going to be... The, the idea that a lot of this tech is going to be duplicative, there are still a bunch of things that managers are going to have to do. There are still a bunch of things that labels are going to have to do. There are things that uh, people who are involved in live are still going to have to do. What I think is going to change is, one, how much of that's going to be done in-house versus out-of-house. And secondly, to what extent is it that anyone will be able to use those tools? So I'm working with uh, a new company called BeatChain, and the guy behind it is one of the de biggest data scientists in the world. So his clients, he did all the um, analy data anal analytics for these small aggressive startups called Amazon and Uber and Netflix. Um, so he's setting up, and he's going to create, there's an app coming out soon that any artist in the world will be able to pinpoint their fans with the most bizarre level of accuracy I've ever seen, ever. And they are going to offer those tools to artists, individual artists, and labels with exactly the same kind of access. And that's Ooh. that's where things get really interesting for yep. me. It, it, I'm going to slightly major bash again, apologies. Um, <laughs> it, it, the, it, to answer your question, when you walk into a major label or a larger label, um, that's especially one that's dealing with a, a deep catalogue where there's a lot of, you know, a lot of music that has to be promoted each week. Uh, you do, it, it, when, you, when we go from a, a planning meeting or a label meeting at a major and then we go into an independent, or then we sit in one of our own planning meetings with one of our own DIY artists, uh, and that DIY artist might, but might, might be a big artist, like Nick Cave, for example, who we do everything for. Our, we're, we're essentially his label. It's distributed by Cobalt, but we do all of the marketing in-house and all the digital in-house ourselves. Um, the change in the in the uh, environment is really marked. You know, you go into a major label and you walk around those ha those hallways, and you see a lot of people in the building seemingly doing n not a huge amount, and and you wonder where their roles are going to be in a few years' time. Because when you've got successful artists, legitimately, and especially in the U.S., we haven't even touched on on rap and urban in the U.S. and you know, what, what SoundCloud is allowing artists to do over there. They're, they're little cottage industry, industries, and they're achieving as much success as, as a, label, a major label machine might do for a, for a similar size artist. You only have to look at YouTubers themselves, who are always one-man bands in their bedrooms, filming themselves, editing themselves, doing all the digital marketing themselves, and turning over 10 million quid a year doing it. Yep. And there's many of them. So at that point, you have to start working out, well, are these people doing a job because it's a really intrinsic part of the process, or is it just because they're being paid to do the job that they're still in the, in the role? And, and I, again, I think to my early initial comment about blowing up the world and, and restarting the music industry, I think a lot of those jobs would fall away. Oh, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, to your point. I think for anyone, like, it makes sense sometimes for certain artists and managers to be on a major label. Um, makes sense and what I think what's important and what we believe in and what we do is like if the label are going to run digital marketing you want to go and meet m like see the people do they exist or are they outsourcing yeah. it to others so I think that's something that everyone should pay attention to is if you do a deal with a label and you know they want to do the merch you know like ask to meet the merch you know who, who does merch here like at the record label do they exist or are they outsourcing it so mm -hmm. if people are taking up all of these roles responsibilities and rights for merch and, and whatever fully understand if, the, if there's a, a team of people or person dedicated to doing it and uh, because we've noticed that a lot of stuff at let majors have been outsourced you know and which is really uh shocking almost that you don't people don't know that someone doing a specific role doesn't work at a record label so uh, i think it's very important for everyone if when you're doing these kind of deals to go in and meet the person you know like if if they like to ask to talk to them and you know if you're doing a label deal say bring them in bring in the merch guy please i'd like to meet him and tell me about what you believe um um yeah I so this is this is why we have put all of these things into our company you know we we don't need 
we, we, we might not have to have all these people doing these things. We could like save money and stuff, but we've invested in doing it and being brilliant at it ourselves because you can't rely on somebody else to do or to care as much yeah. as we do. I think you're right. And uh, the other beauty of it, the economics of streaming, of course, is rather than it being you know, a spike of revenue that you get on release, that it, which is, of course, what we used to get back in the old days, uh, you now have this long tail. So the, Finally. Be the beauty of that is that you can actually plan properly. So you can actually put a business plan in place and have a, a three-year plan and legitimately write down your, your plan, your forecast monthly I income. And, it, it, you know, if you're, if you're tracking most campaigns over a year or two, if it's moderately successful to very successful, you'll see revenues just continue to grow and obviously live revenues then start to come in. So as a business owner, especially an independent, you can start to work out when you can employ those staff and employ them at the right time, mm. at the right deal, and engage them in a really, really profound way rather than just hoping that someone who's doing a day job with respect uh, will actually really live and breathe it for your for your artist. So it provides again a huge amount of power back to the artist. Yeah. And and I think certainly from our philosophy as a management company, that's all we care about. As yeah. long as the artist is in control, and and we are facilitating that with them and for them, then that is the right place to start. And that's not to say that the artist should be blindly arrogant, saying I'm doing it this way. Fuck you all. I don't care. I'm saying in a collaborative sense, so the spirit of a good business partnership, the artist truly should be in control. And legitimately, we can sit here today, probably for the first time in the modern music industry over the last year or so, and say that that is legitimately possible. Yep. And it never has been before. Only the highest, highest echelon of artists could be in control. Madonna, yeah. U2, yeah, yeah. at the Eagles. But, like, but boy, did they have to earn it, right? On two hands, you yeah. can count them. Yeah. Now... Every artist can legitimately be in control, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, and just like a quick point, there are some great examples. Like uh, I love Chance the Rapper, you know, who uh, he's just it been him and his manager, doing it in a very DIY way forever. And um, they've never, I don't think they've ever put out a physical product. You know, they've put out a bunch of albums, but it's all been streaming, digital. They've done a direct deal with Apple a, a couple of years ago. But like, he's a kind of a shining light of like, he's topping. St headliner at festivals, he's got his own festival. Uh, like I think he, someone like him is the blueprint for the f like what the, what I'm li like what Madonna could be like if Madonna was starting out now. I would like com com oh yeah. she would have done for sure yeah absolutely. Chance the rapper is a really interesting uh, one to be aware of. I'm sure everybody knows him. We don't have much time left. Does anybody uh, in the audience have any questions? Oh yes, hurrah! A question. Um, yeah, my name's Joop. Thank you uh, for an interesting chat, interesting talk. Um, we've been talking about streaming, uh, recording music, perspective on live, cutting out that middleman. Right then. Um, <laughs> good, good question. Uh, we're seeing uh, huge benefits from it. I, I would say that uh, the streaming data that we're getting is enabling us to be more targeted with what we're doing. Um, it's early days on that front, but it's, it's really positive. I think uh, the idea that when it becomes a little bit more uh, legitimate, that the Spotify pre-sales, Amazon direct ticketing, uh, any D2C activity, YouTube are about to implement it as well, and Leo's told me about some quite exciting plans from that perspective. D2C is going to be a huge central pillar of what YouTube are going to be doing, which I think will empower us all uh, in ways that we hadn't even thought of yet, and I'm genuinely excited about it, actually. Um, so I think anywhere that where we can have it going back to this idea of this, this direct uh, ecosystem, this direct uh, artist-to-fan relationship is a great thing. So uh, yes, I think using Spotify data is great, uh, geographical data from Google Analytics is great. Um, the ability to know that, you know, you can say to Spotify now, I don't know if you guys have tried this yet, but it is, it is it's possible. Ring Spotify for one of your artists and do it. Uh, say you want to do a show in Amsterdam or London for an artist that's got momentum. You can say to Spotify, right, could you target uh, with an email blast uh, all those fans who have played, and you can set the metrics, you can say all those fans that have played at least one track of my artist every day for the last three months within a 80 mile radius of that city. And they will say, yes, we can. Do you pay for that? 
No. Woo. And they will send out a pre-sale. You can set up a pre-order with them, and they will promote it and market it. Now, at the moment, I would be, being realistic, you're not seeing huge returns on that. It's probably around about 18% returns, which is low for, for, for that kind of email uh, marketing. Uh, but it's going to raise a, a lot higher when it becomes more efficient. They're just kind of in beta at, it, at, at the moment. But it's, it's powerful, really powerful. Amazon, again, Imagine, we don't really talk about Amazon much in the music industry. We need to start talking about them more. Um, the, the data, you know, you talk about the ecosystem of Apple. Uh, Amazon's ecosystem is is astonishing, uh, uh, and their infrastructure is is mind blowing, especially when it comes to D 2 C again. So, uh, we should start as independents start thinking about how we're using all of this tech in in a, in a more profound way. Yeah. But to answer your question directly, I think it's positive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the th the issue sort of just. 18%, I think it was click-through rate. I don't think that's turning into sales. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say, live is going to be the last domino to fall because it's even more fragmented in the music industry. So aggregating the rights between yep. individual artists, between labels, between publishers and PROs, um, it's been done now. But between the ecosystem of live, between venues, between promoters, between agents, between ticketing companies, etc., that's going to take a bit of time. Yeah. Um, people say that you know it's like the airline uh, industry in the 70s. Having been around in the 70s, I remember there being more than two airlines. You know, so um, it's pretty bad uh, in terms of what has to happen. But it's coming. The change is coming. There was another question over here and here, I think. Hi. <coughs> Imagining a world where there are, where labels have died out, how far are we away from bands or artists actually being able to carve out a career on their own? A lot of the bands that I come across who are doing well are self-funded or they have family money. Working class bands or bands who don't come from money, how far is the, the structure, the, the data, etc the direct payments, how far are we away from, from a, a, a normal working class artist being able to put all that together without a big marketing budget, without a pot of money to fall back onto? It's always been hard, that, hasn't it? Uh, and I don't think it's changed that much yet. I think it's still a very privileged industry from that sense. And I think you always ultimately need someone to put some money in at some point, And that's a frustration. Uh, in fact, we're doing a panel tomorrow about VC money in the industry, which will be quite interesting. So uh, I don't think it's uh, resolved yet. I think, it is, I think we can probably see a future where it's much easier. And don't forget, for bands that didn't have funding back in the day, how did you print CDs or vinyl? It was, an, it was an impossible task. There were so many barriers to entry to even get a record into a store. At least now, there is the opportunity to get your music out there. How to get heard is the biggest challenge because it's a it's how to make noise in the marketplace is such a challenge. Uh, I think you're starting to see some, you know, green shoots uh, in, in 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 scenes. You know, so like in the UK grime, an urban scene. You know, like it's it's something you can make in your bedroom. You know, it's different to guitar music. You know you know, recording and expensive studios and stuff. And uh, and there's no expectation to be signed, is there? No, so some of these guys, like, to be on a major label, is like, no way, like, no way. Why, why would I do that? No way. I'll do a um, brand deal, yeah, that's so what they say to me. I don't know, I, s I see some great things coming through in the kind of electronic, uh, grime, or UK urban scene and European urban scene. Like, these guys are DIY, brilliant hustlers. They still like take... Uh, I, I be happy to be told that I'm wrong, but yeah. a lot of them still take at least distro deals so with the likes of Cobalt or someone yeah. like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, so core. it's still investment via yeah. another partner. It's just not directly a label oh, sign. Yeah, some of them. Their rights. Yes, yes, that's true. But then some of them are uh, using things like TuneCore um, and doing all right, and then making money on the live. You know, if you can get your live thing up and running, and you can start funding your own thing, um, like Stormzy is a good example where he kind of. He kind of stayed on his own for as long as he could until it was inevitable that is it Atlantic he signed to in the yep. end, or yep. you know, so he's a great example of someone that could have done deals earlier. I think uh, he held out and held out and held out. I um, think Little Sims is still independent. Little Sims, yeah, great and example. Yeah, she's cool. Her she's and her manager, cool. like, I think what the, 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 the it's good to raise like um, the point of like the things that managers have to do now. Um, managing artists, you're doing so much more, so much time, so much increase. more investment. It's only going to get harder. But, but, but there's loads of great 
upsides to all the, of the these. One, the, run, the one role I don't see being outsourced anytime soon is the manager, Mark. Just Because <laughs> we never get paid. Um, so <laughs> the... Uh, the, uh, but we all know about this kind of the metric of this kind of four thousand dollars per million streams thing. Everyone's aware of that as a general metric. So um, that's all rights, of course, m um, publishing and, and, and masters and performance. So uh, you know we've got a f I'd, I'd say five or six acts uh, that are generating, you know, in in the kind of the range of ten to fifteen grand a month from streaming. All of whom have got distro deals or just direct deals. So receive the lion's share of that income. Uh, and you know what? If you're a, if you're a 25 year old kid and you, you you know you're burgeoning band or producer or artist or rapper, um, and you maybe you got a day job to, to cover it, uh, if you're suddenly making t you know five ten grand a month, so you know a couple of million streams a month, which is really achievable these days. I mean that's a legit that's a legitimately touchable thing. Do um, if you're earning you know eight ten grand a month, well, happy days. <laughs> You know, I seriously, I mean, yeah. obviously your, co your costs are coming out of that, but at that stage your costs are probably quite low. So th there's definitely countless examples of that happening now. So it's, it's not there yet, but I think we see a future where that's, uh, I think we're in touching distance of it. And, and, get get and an accountant at that stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry we have to stop. This has been absolutely fascinating. Brilliant panellists and a great crowd. Thank you all.